This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hello everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Clark and Luce. Um, episode 92, this week we've got two guests on, two return guests, um, both lecturers at Edinburgh University, Mike Jess and Paul McMillan. So we had Paul on doing a, an episode on lesson study, um, which was episode number 38, so a wee while ago. And then more recently we had Mike on speaking about his Visions and Voices project, which was episode number 76. Um, so after this episode, if you feel like going back in, if you haven't caught those previous ones, um, definitely worth a listen, both very popular episodes. All right, so we're moving on to kind of the, the new project, which is A Brighter Future. Um, that's a, the, the title of the episode and what we're going to cover um, is off the back of the Vision and Voices project. They are developing a, a new one, which is looking at how the future of PE looks. Um, so we'll talk a wee bit about that, a wee bit about the health and wellbeing policy agenda in schools and how PE can connect with that. And also um, how PE is closer to the, to the centre of educational wishes in schools more than what it was uh, 30, 40 years ago. And then a wee bit about um, how PE can help young people once they leave school. Um, so I, all in all, a lot to talk about here. So strap yourself in, folks, because you're in for an absolute treat tonight. Right, tonight we've got Mike, Jess and Paul McMillan joining the podcast again for their second appearance. Welcome to the show, uh, gents. How's your, how's your day been? Thank you. Thanks for having us back on again. It's good to see both of you, uh, Clark and Lewis, and delighted to be back on, uh, despite what other folk might think with Mike Jess as well. Two of us on at the same time. Um, glad well, to be back it. on. I enjoyed it last time. And I think the episodes are helpful in terms of uh, constantly recommending them to a lot of our students. So, yeah, glad to be here. And I see the whole podcast is really helpful. Yeah, no, we're glad to be helping um, as many people out as possible, and um, we'll, we'll make continue, Lewis. Eh? Absolutely. Now, we, were, we were thinking about maybe seeing it up to episode 100, but we're, we're still enjoying it, so I think we'll surpass that. Good, good. How's you, how's you, Mike? I'm good. I was just thinking here that very often a lot of people think I talk a lot, but uh, as you've already worked out, um, I'll, I'll be the, the quiet partner in this one, um, as, as Paul ramps up then gets himself going um how long do you think that'll last paul been at home quite a lot recently so there'll be not, a... not beyond the first question i'm telling you this is as <laughs> usual i'm sure you will both you'll both get your points in we'll, we'll start doing a wee hands up approach <laughs> right so we won't go through um, we won't go through all their careers in that again but because you've been on before if you wanted to listen to 
Mike's episode. It was episode 76 on Vision and Voices, and Paul's was 38 on Lesson Study. If you would like to go back and uh, find out a bit, a bit more about their, their illustrious careers, um, then you can you can go back and listen to them. So we'll just kind of get get moving then uh, with the first first question, which Lewis will take over from here. So on you go, Lewis. I suppose you have been obviously carrying out some work since the last time we spoke. So I guess my first question to kick off tonight's episode, guys, would be, could you maybe tell us and the listeners um, a little bit about the work that you have both been carrying out lately? Yeah, we've, uh, we've been busy. There's quite a lot of projects on the go at the moment um, at various different stages, uh, I guess. Uh, Mike's uh, podcast that he spoke about l- last time he was here was all about that vision and, and voices project um, and very much seeing the need for students to have um, a clear articulation, a clear vision for what PE is about and seeing that as it's very helpful in terms of being able to justify the educational value of physical education but also to, to speak up and, and voice their ideas about the subject especially given that uh, in more recent years there's been more and more people trying to shape and talk about and get involved in physical education. Uh, And I suppose that Visions and Voices project really was um, what led to this current project, which is all about um, seeing physical education in a more positive light, seeing PE uh, as being in a good place at the moment or having a really bright future. Uh, And that's what sort of instigated this, this next project um, which we're at the very early stages of doing, uh, looking at what are some of the factors that start to contribute towards physical education's currently quite strong and positive position in the PE uh, curriculum uh, and what that means for teachers and also what that means for the subject and what that looks like uh, in the future uh, for everyone. So, so when you're conducting a re- uh, the project in its early stages then, Paul, was that like kind of going through, going through literature, like current literature, is that part of the process? Yeah, I mean, linking back to that previous project about visions and voices, that was all about seeing the need to have a voice. So we've done research on that project, which was yeah. really looking at what the students' own visions were. But as part of finding out what the students' visions were in fourth year um, of, of, that, of our programme, our MAPE programme at Edinburgh, um, two things happened out of that. One was we started to weave this idea about vision right the way through the four-year programme. So it wasn't just um, let's have this final year course all about vision. So it's now part of four years and they very much build towards that. So there was very much a sort of practice and applied part to that and how does vision build up over four years but it was also a research project so looking to understand what the teachers or the student teachers visions were um, at that point in time Uh, and the plan is uh, with Mike leading that project very much trying to track those students once they go into the profession Mm -hmm. so trying to follow up with some of them Uh, the idea is that those visions that they had when they were at the very end of the the four-year program were really aspirational but they hadn't really been tested to any great extent degree they'd maybe been on placements but really once they get the profession how has that vision fared after a year or two so that's the the research element part of that and as we've been researching that project we've started to see some of the positive areas of PE, like having more stakeholders as part of PE, more people interested in it, the need for a vision. Yes, that's important, but not to defend it, but to share it with these different stakeholders, including 
students, other students, teachers, parents, children, head teachers, and, and, and so on. So that's the applied work that's been going, going on recently, and that's how these two projects, one almost led to the other one, the vision one almost led to this uh, more idea about a positive, brighter future for PE. So I take it when you're doing your research, like on the project, for example, for the Visions and Voices one, does it just sort of, I don't know, like obviously you didn't have, like a, you didn't see it going that way. So does it just sometimes take you in different directions once you start exploring and finding out more about something and doing your research? I think it's a really, really good question. And I think one of the fascinating bits about the word research, certainly, and you know, when you're a teacher, and certainly when I was a young teacher, the idea that research was something, A, that was done to you, usually by people in white coats, you know, who sort of would, would very much objectively observe what you did or get involved in an intervention. And I think one of the things that's really, and we'll come back to this later when, when we talk about the, 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 the positive future, And the views of how the world works actually is changing. And the idea of research, it was a sort of real tension between very objective type research and objective, or not so much subjective, but, but very organic type research that's about the world unfolding right in front of you. Um, so an awful lot of the work that we are doing as teacher educators, as academic people now involved in PE, is in a sense creating a narrative that turns out and becomes research. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that question, yeah, yeah, we don't really know, you know, we've got an idea of where we want things to go. Yeah but the world is pretty uncertain and all of a sudden things can go off at tangents and whatever. So our skill set as researchers um, is, is very much to engage with that. And it certainly becomes certainly, I, well, and I'm sure Paul will agree, it, it makes research much more real mm -hmm. as opposed to be something that's completely out there and objective. Mm -hmm. So this project is very much part of our life yeah and, and as Paul just said there where we're going now has emerged out of what we were doing before yeah so it's led, led into it so see like your job as researchers then do you use, I take it your main aim is to try and find those like breakthrough moments I guess is that what you are is that what the the end goal is as a obviously because that's what you're passionate about and stuff and it's to try and find some sort of breakthrough and change that obviously positively changes where we're going with it. I this differently, but Paul can go first. <laughs> okay. No, uh, it, was, it was more when you were talking uh, and answering that last question, Mike, uh, or that last part of the question, you started talking about research, and research has possibly changed quite a lot in more recent times from, in general, how it's conducted, but also how people perceive it. And as you were talking through about it being more emergent, um, being more something that you know you respond to various things and, and Lewis talked about finding a breakthrough and following up with it. It reminded me very much about how knowledge has also shifted and that was a key idea about this um, positive PE project that came out the back of the Vision and Voices project. This idea that 
20th century and before, knowledge was viewed as also as quite in a quite different way, viewed as something that was fairly static, fairly objective, and that has shifted and, and had a relationship with how knowledge was viewed in schools as well, mm. uh, which hasn't always helped physical education's cause, I guess, and the way that intellectual or cognitive domain uh, was privileged uh, to a great extent. Um, and viewed as, as being um, superior and, and, and viewed as being educative. Um, there's an issue there about how that led to physical education for a long time uh, in the 20th century being on the margins and viewed as not educative, mm -hmm. uh, viewed as being maybe just games and some fun or purely just sport and educational value of that question. So um, we've also seen, as Mike was alluding to there, uh, in more recent times, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, not in my time, but you can see this idea of research being a bit different, but also the way that we view knowledge. It's not always objective, it's not always contested. There's ideas now that it's a bit more constructed, uh, debated, um, something that's discussed and shared a bit more. Uh, and that was one of the key ideas, I think, that's, that's important for this new uh, positive PE project is that PE because of the way that knowledge has started to be looked at slightly differently and valued in school it's mm. not just a cognitive domain now that we're interested in there's a broadening out of what's important for, for education and viewed as knowledgeable um, and we've moved away from that mind-body dualism where the traditional views privilege just the mind to see in PEs having more of a contribution to make because they've broken down a lot of those barriers between the mind and body and what knowledge is and seen it as something that's a little bit more open. Yeah, there's a big push on the kind of effective domain now, isn't there, in terms of what PE can offer as well, in terms of the personal qualities that they can demonstrate and develop through physical activity. Absolutely, so spot on in the sense that, so if you just go take one step back to come back to your point there, that in what we would call the modernist world, where what happened was that everything was reduced down to its parts. So going back to the point that you both made, you know, that is it just about the affective or the social and emotional? Is it just about the cognitive? PE became, and, and perhaps sometimes still is, perceived just to be about the physical. And I suppose the most exciting bit about that change in the world is this realize that instead of everything being in parts, they're in holes. So that the, mm -hmm. the idea in the past was that you, you cut everything down to their constituent parts and you put the parts together and you knew what the whole was, so you made the whole better. The slight difference now is that you've got all these different parts, but you don't actually know what happens where they all come together which is the whole complexity type thing. But that means that we're looking at learning, we're looking at knowledge, and we're looking at research in a much more integrated way and a much more emergent way because the parts come together and you don't know it. Well, now, you've got an idea maybe where they're going, but just going back to that point made about how we're, in a sense, are doing our research where it's taking us as opposed to deciding and, and, and making everything into these tiny wee parts. So yeah, PE becomes not just the physical, it becomes the physical, the cognitive, the social, the emotional, but also the context in which people are in. You both work in different schools and the context in which you're working is different. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the same. 
So once we start to, to look at these things, the whole notion of knowledge, the whole issue of learning, and the whole issue of research become yet yeah, inextricably linked, but really quite unclear exactly where things are going. Um, and that's a big change, but it's also, I think, very, very exciting. Yeah, I think I think an exciting part as well, like off the back of what you were saying earlier, um, the Vision and Voices project, um, about that having that clear and vision of what PE is and what it what it should look like in, in, in your school. I think the hard bit is then try to translate that to the to the young people, and then because I think I think there's a perception from the young people about PE and what and what PE is all about about all the physical and, and they don't really know the the benefits that it can bring. So I think that's a, the real challenge. Is fair enough? We've got a vision of what it, what it should be, but I think the hard bit is Paul was saying earlier, try to get a whole kind of collective ethos between the parents, pupils, the community. Mm. Um, I think that's a real challenge. Like cause when you're dealing with young people on a day to day basis. The reason, like they've, they've all got reasons for why they take part in P or why they don't take part. But there in you are. That's the parts. Way. Yeah. And the parts are going to come together. The parts are going to come together, whatever you do. So you're absolutely right. Is that from a professional perspective and from a research perspective, I think we have to be much more aware of just exactly what you've said, and that's our starting point. Mm -hmm. And then you're not going to expect the kids or the parents or the carers or the head teachers or the people in the community to all be thinking at the same on the, on the same page so you know you can end up in one part of scotland and the whole thing comes together and all of a sudden it's wonderful mm -hmm. and then you've got another part where people don't even talk to each other mm -hmm. and these are these are the same country but they're completely different things and the idea that you then do research that says, and when you do this, this will happen. I was going to swear there, but you know, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Right. I had a flashback there when you were talking, Clark, and a bit of Mike about um, this idea that getting the other stakeholders on board, how do you share that vision? How do you spread that? And it had a flashback to when I was a second year student at a school, which I'll not talk about or say at the moment. But I had this idea from a first ever lesson in the school that had a new person in the school working with a class for the very first time as a student teacher. I had this idea that I was going to get the kids to teach each other. So after setting up this basketball lesson and getting going, the kids were going to have a basketball between two. We're going to teach each other. And what actually happened was that I actually didn't get to the end of that task in 50 minutes because I explained it and told the kids that they had to go and one person did five shots and another person watched them and decided to help them get better at doing the shots. And they just went back and just took shots each at the basketball and no one did it. So it was going, but because I was new, I'd never been in the school before. They had no idea who I was and PE for them was something possibly completely different. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really happen in the normal PE lesson. Yeah, it just, it just wasn't going to happen and it didn't happen. And you can just look back and you can picture it now. This mm -hmm. little guy who's on placement determined they're going to get through this plan that they've yeah. got. And it just never happened. Uh, and I was right. like, wow, I'm not explaining this clearly enough. That might be the thing. And it just didn't so happen. Really, nothing's changed then. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's almost like they just don't have the knowledge, don't they? Not to teach each other, or the 
they're not in that habit, and they're not. Aye, but that was um, something that I kind of read about lately. And Dan Leslie, when we had one of the podcasts as well, uh, alluded to that point is that when you are teaching like novice learners, like you need to teach them a bit more of a kind of directive approach. You know what I mean? Like you need to tell them how to do something before they actually have the skills to go on and then be able to teach each other. So if they don't know the knowledge first, you're kind of struggling to try and get them to actually do do tasks yeah. like that if they're unsure of it. They don't have the knowledge or the, the experience at all. It's going to be a, a tough ask. Or I need to go in and maybe do a small assessment first Aye. rather than just yeah, go, exactly. go carry on with my yeah. idea that I'm going to be able to teach each other. So Aye. I guess um, understand where they're coming from, what they've done before, what yeah, the skill set is, what the social <laughs> capabilities are. I guess that would have been a better way to start lesson one. Aye. But when you're in second year placement, you're a little bit excited. Yeah, so, yeah. so I guess absolutely you've got to take the letter from where they're at and that clearly wasn't what was happening there. Oh, definitely. Um, it still, it still happens. It still happens in my in uh, my classes, Paul. So don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm alright. I can handle it. It does happen still. Later. Uh, so m- moving moving on slightly to the health and wellbeing policy agenda um, within schools at the minute. What's your sort of views on that, and is that having an impact on the brighter future project that you're kind of? So you were going to take this. I'm going to take it. Okay. Okay. That's how it works. I told you. Let's you just go this. back to go forward to that. Okay, let, let's because hands up, remember. Okay. <laughs> there you go, Mike. Yeah, reminder of manners, Mike. <laughs> so if if we just go back and bring that last question to some extent, or that ramblings that we had there to a wee conclusion to lead into the health and well-being bit. So where we're coming from. The idea of what knowledge is and thinking is and, and learning is, is changing. It's something that's more integrated. It's something that's more connected and it's something that's more emergent. But because of that, this idea of holistic learning and holistic development is becoming more and more important. But it's not just more and more important and more obvious. It's important in PE, but it's important in education and if you go to look at health and health education that holistic bit is also important there and then if you take that final bit there are now a lot more stakeholders there's a lot more people involved in what PE is now these can be an absolute disaster we would suggest that these are the real positives of the future now then going to that question Clark about where does PE fit within health and well-being? Well, lo and behold, health and well-being, in days gone by, health was all about physical disease. And don't get me wrong, it's still, as we know, about physical disease. But it's also about this sort of holistic idea. Um, and there's much, much more work on mental health, physical, social. It's, so all of a sudden, you're starting to get a link, a synergy between education being holistic, PE being holistic, I would argue sport being holistic, physical activity being holistic, and health being holistic. So all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but in the last 20, 30 years, we go from PE being on the margins, going back to what Paul said of this cognitive dominance, all of a sudden, 
you've got this integrated view, this holistic view of all of these things. And I'm not saying that that's happening everywhere, but certainly from our reading and from our experiences, and if you go look at policies around the world, you're seeing that move in that direction. And all of a sudden, Scotland looks way up there because it's not just this word health, it's health and well-being. So health and well-being is very, very holistic. And the PE that is being developed within that is very holistic. So, you know, as we said in a blog that was just written, it's two cheers for PE. Maybe not three cheers, but two cheers. Because I'll tell you, things are, there's a lot of things in place. And if we can get these people working together using the vision and voices idea, the future does look, I think, a lot brighter than I can remember in my 400 years of being a PE person. Yeah, I think that's key as well, Mike. Sorry, Liz. No, and I was going to say, so I think the, the challenge obviously now with um, the way the curriculum is now in terms of with your benchmarks and you've got like those kind of four quadrants that we're always, that we're trying to go through, especially like in the junior curriculum. I think the hard part is trying, like you say, is trying to pull it all together so you are trying to teach it that in that more sort of holistic way but see when you use are like going through this with your students in the university do you use like do you have like a set way that you try and get them to to teach those benchmarks to the pupils like or do you try and just like I suppose I'm trying to say do you like highlight key ones that they should be working on within each lesson because there are some that are probably easier to to teach than others, like some of them are really tricky and it's trying to get them to tie in without overwhelming them, I guess, to try and pull it together. Because I think everybody is, has got that, like the people's best interests at heart, trying to do all this and pull it all together, but it's trying to be really specific so it's not overwhelming, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, as Mike was saying, I think that this idea about health uh, that, that, that's been a doctor in the policy and you've picked up what that looks like in physical education there, Lewis, that you've got aspects of learning, you've got holistic ideas. Um, so that's, I think that's important for the Brighter Features uh, project, just like Mike was talking about there. So it's not just any view of, of, of health, this is a very holistic, open-ended mm. view about what it might look like. And yes, there are mental, physical, social, emotional, or cognitive, physical, social dimensions to it. Um, and I think... There's a, there are some people that start to worry that the, the physical domains get a little bit squeezed. Yeah. Uh, and, and that has that's been discussed and debated anecdotally, but uh, students raise it all the time. The literature has raised it too. But I think what the, the cognitive, social, and emotional do for us, uh, and I'll come back in a minute in terms of what, what that looks like in practice from, from, from our perspective, but uh, there's an idea here that that cognitive, physical, social, emotional mix starts to bring forward some of the educational um, drivers or domains or claims uh, that education can, can offer. And I think they are all completely integrated. I think that's the beauty of talking about what Mike was saying, that rather than separating them all out and decide we're doing the cognitive today, yeah. you might be privileged in that or it might be in the foreground. But I think it's always impossible to completely break these apart and decide that you're only doing one of them. Yeah. I think they're always there. All of them are there. I uh, definitely. 
they're always natural uh, occurring, aren't they? They're always there, and we, we, we can focus in on certain ones or think that we're privileged at it to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult to pull them all away. But it's also very difficult to I take a box and say that everyone's yeah. taking the same thing away from that lesson. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about um, the way that the four of us might make sense of a P lesson if we were in it now, Lewis, you might go away with something completely different from Clark. And Mike and I would definitely go away with something different from each other. Um, so again, that individual sense making back to what the learner brings to the table, what they what they've experienced, but also what they know from outside of school too. How does that inform how they experience and engage with the lesson? What the teacher thinks that they all take away might be completely different from what the learner does at the other end of their or from their perspective. So, yeah. So I think they're helpful. I think you can privilege them to. Uh, and foreground certain ones, but I think they're difficult to pull apart. And I assume that you've you've ticked a box, and every kid yeah. has gone away with the same uh, understanding of a particular experience. Mm-hmm. I'd like you say, like there's, you could, for example, just for for talking sake, like respect and tolerance, things like that. Like kids, you get pupils in your class that are super polite, super respectful, and you have someone at the top, total opposite end of the scale. So you're not really teaching that child anything necessarily new. So I suppose they do without being explicit about them they do kind of tie in with each other and you're hitting off different ones but without I suppose explicitly going through it with them and it's just trying to yeah and how respect and tolerance might be completely different uh when you're in primary school and then you get up to secondary school respect and tolerance might be completely different when you shift to an indoor facility to an outdoor one or one activity you know, how does that look different or different and other activities? So again, there's a change, constantly changing context. So many variables, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, so I think these are ongoing challenges and I know that schools sometimes need to show uh, progress or they need to report on progress, uh, but I think they're constantly um, on the move um, and at different paces or different places for different kids. I think, I think your question, Lewis, just highlights how, and I'll come back to the benchmarks in a minute, but how this move, like with the significant aspects of learning, for example, gets us to ask new questions. Mm -hmm. So when I started teaching, the questions were, how do you do a basketball layup? Yeah. You know, it, it, it was locked into these blocks of physical activities. And all of a sudden, everything that you've asked in that question about, in a sense, how do we incorporate the different domains in our teaching, knocks out of kilter what was there before. Yeah, totally. And skill focus. To ask different questions. I have to say, and, and I've so I've been 30 years as a teacher educator, so clearly I'm going to say this, that the benchmarks came in in 2016. Mm-hmm. They won't be here forever. So I, I, our job to some extent, and we, you'll have a view on this, is our job to do everything that government tell us or to make sure that the students can do everything that fits into what happens in each school in Scotland? Or do we get them to start to really, really engage with those questions? Because that question you gave, how, how, how do you do, resi- do resilience? 
Yeah. How do you do decision making? How do you know? How do you do working together? These are big, big questions that are not just about PE. They're about all of education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all teachers have to be asking those questions. So I think the goalposts are, it was a a question that maybe wasn't meant to go where we've taken it because at a pragmatic level, it's it's not easy. But because of that, it's a different question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so back onto the kind of health and well-being then, the, the policy agenda, would you say that PE is at the heart of the kind of, the, dri- the driver of that then within a school, would you say? Like the PE, the PE staff and the PE kind of department? Or would you say that's more, obviously, I know it's a responsibility of all, but PE is in, in that kind of position where they are, the, they are seen as the, the drivers in schools. just want to acknowledge that Lewis asked the big questions on this podcast, but so does, so does Clark. <laughs> Keep coming. Uh, you go, Mike. I think it's been a, that's been a really that's a really interesting. I mean, that's a a very nuanced question. Is that you know, um, PE teachers are not the experts in substance abuse. So I think what's happened a little bit, mm. maybe by default, and it may be true for home economics as well is that health and well-being was created as a new core subject area. Yes, and because it was a core subject area, it was the responsibility of all teachers, but so is English and so is math. But these other areas had teachers. Yeah. There's really not yet been somebody who's called a health and well-being teacher. So again, here's another lot of questions. So, and all of a sudden, does a PE teacher by default, become a health and well-being teacher? And the answer to that could be yes. The answer, you know, so we've now over, it's taken us 10 years at the uni to now have health and well-being courses mm-hmm. as part of the students' four-year programme. That's taken 10 years. So I'm not answering that because I actually don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I think it'd be really useful to have someone like a health and wellbeing lead within a school that could track and monitor and pull together projects across the school. I think that would be a really useful way to spend the money. Um, I know, I think some schools are starting to move towards that as like having literacy and numeracy and health and wellbeing coordinators within schools. Um, uh, so I think yeah, that would be a useful, useful, useful way. Absolutely. It's... <laughs> Just, and then Paul, you can go, health and well-being no, no, is much, 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 much bigger than PE. No, definitely. No, I agree with you. Like, we're, not, we're not experts in substance That's not saying PE is not dead important. No, yeah. I'm just saying that health and well-being, in a sense, is ultimately what humankind is all about, really. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think we struggle to say that that's, we are the lead in that, you know. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, but I think it does seem to fall on PE teachers. Do you think that as well? Yeah, no, like definitely. You, is that expectancy um, from talking to other teachers as well? But as you say, that is, is the remit's far too wide. Yeah, I think um, it's it's maybe being careful that one doesn't become the other. Uh, they might be connected, yeah. uh, but it's what's the relationship? So, what is PE's role? I guess ultimately in the health and well-being agenda or the health and well-being journey in general, but also in the lives of children. So um, I think that having a coordinator 
like you said, they're would possibly be a great idea, uh, but but to what end? What is it that the ultimate expectation is for that person? And mm -hmm. if that's quite a narrow thing, then it, it might not go anywhere. So I think keeping in mind that how does PE relate to health and well-being is important one in general, but also in relation to a brighter futures uh, project that we're talking about uh, mostly today. Uh, but it's this idea of what role does PE play in relation to that health and well-being agenda? Uh, and that health holistic view uh, beyond the physical, I think, is helpful. Uh, and possibly PE starts to have this idea of how does it contribute to health and well-being outside of school as well? It's not just something that happens in school, but how can you contribute to the lives of children outside of school? Mm -hmm. So when they're not in school, at weekends and at nights, and what, what, what does PE prepare people to do in those spaces? but also long after they leave school. Uh, so kids leave school at 18 or 15, 14, 15, 16, how old they are when they decide to leave or go on to further education uh, or, so, or, or employment. What, what do they do uh, in relation to the health and well-being life? Uh, and maybe it's this contribution that we, what do we do to keep people physically active? What do we do to keep people involved um, and able to look after themselves? So I think, Health and well-being and PE are, are connected and they have a relationship, but what, what does PE do in, in respect to that? And it might be what happens outside and after school in terms of the leaving dates and so on. Yeah, so as I was providing that kind of enjoyable, engaging experience, hopefully that they then maintain that lifelong participation. I think that then raises a really, really important question that completely, you know, and we, we, we've talked about this a lot, that is the role of PE about now in school or is the role of PE, is the purpose of PE, and, and go back to this, what Paul said there, is it a life-wide, i.e. in the gym, across the school and beyond the school, as of now, at the age of three, four, right through to whatever, and is it about looking at physical activity when you leave school. Now, there's a rhetoric about that in PE, but so that link to health and well-being, the word physical gives it away. So we're the people that are involved in the physical, but I think there's a really important question that, that, that Paul's hit on there from a, from a health and well-being sense, in its broadest sense, is PE about, as when I started, it was contextualized in the gym and it was doing stuff that very often there was no chance that that was ever going to move outside the gym to any other part of a kid's life. Mm -hmm. If we are looking at that life-wide thing and linking with the stakeholders in active schools and in sports clubs and in health areas, and if we're looking beyond the school days, what are the questions that we have to then ask about PE? Yes, within health and well-being. Yes, within education. Yes, within, within health in its broadest sense. Yes, within sport. And that, yeah, so that's the sort of stuff that we, I think, need to do with our students to get them to start to think about the positioning of PE and maybe what is PE in that context? Mm 
So I'd like you both to go and write an essay about that now. Go. How many words? <laughs> we'll half it. We'll half it. A lot. <laughs> you're, you're the one in the also, Mike, it. it's, it's, only, it's also, Mike, when you were talking there about, I think you talked about physical activity and then you talked about uh, sport and you talked about different forms of physical activity, but also I was mindful there about how that completely changes as you go through the lifespan. So um, I no longer play competitive organized formal team sport I, I used to but not anymore for a whole number of different reasons so how does that physical activity pattern or um, possibility change as you go from middle secondary school upper secondary school and and beyond that uh, and, and what does that look like what are the possibilities for people that are middle-aged and, and and then beyond that so again seeing the opportunities and, and, and what's possible for people to be physically active and how that is a changing landscape as you go through your life yeah. I like also to bear that in mind that it's not a one-size-fits-all and competitive sport while interesting and enjoyable uh, might not have might actually have a very short shelf life in terms of that lifelong agenda that you were talking about there Mike yeah, I think that can also be quite dangerous then in, in a PE lesson. If it is too competitive, then that's it might turn uh, some people like their their experience might not be as enjoyable. So I think I think that I don't even underestimate the importance of the day to day experiences for the, the, the pupils in the classes and how that will impact their, their participation rates beyond school. Um, I think it's just it's always a nice reminder when we talk about stuff like this about how we can impact their their experience and then what they do next. When they so, leave. Here, so here's a question for both of you. <laughs> You're not supposed if, to ask the questions, Mike. If, oh, God. If, <laughs> this is the first question I've been asked in 92 episodes. <laughs> I'm only sorry, sorry I, can, I can edit it a few minutes at Clark. <laughs> in physical education, now forget the, the classroom, the, the theory practice bit in higher. Forget that. That's not what I'm talking about. If PE, throughout a whole child's experience, they never did any physical activity in physical education. But because of this experiences they had in physical education, that enabled them to be very active across the school and beyond the school, and also enabled them to be very active when they left school, so they were able in a lifelong and life lifelong and life wide way or lifelong realm to be active, but we didn't have much physical or any physical activity in PE, and the whole population was then very active, and we were educating them to be active as opposed to being active. Would that be a successful PE program? I would say no. No. No, I would say because it needs to be, they need to have the physical element within the lessons. And I think it's the physical element as well, as well. That gives them the bug for it. Like if they find something that. Like... No, but so we don't, no, no, no. Okay, okay, I'm, okay. I'll, I'm going to keep. I'll come back at you there. Yes, but if they, if they are, they've got the bug. You have created the bug through teaching whatever them. you've done. But they don't. Ha do they have to be active if they are going to be active? on a very regular basis across a range of physical activities and they go to clubs where they develop skills and social engagement and resilience. So PE is the catalyst for that bug. And I, I'm obviously not arguing that you wouldn't be physical, but I'm saying if you weren't physical and the whole population was to be physical, 
politically active based on the fact that the PE set up those contexts, would that be successful? It's a good question. I think, I think the pupils would have to know, like, they wouldn't know any better. Like, do you know what I mean? You'd be struggling. I think you would, that would be an absolute shift to try and implement something like that. Because I think they would need to know no better. Like, they would need to know that that's how they're going from primary school. And they would need to have done that from a very, I guess, from a very early age and not had that experience in school. If it was successful, does that mean that it would be a successful PE programme? No, because... I think when you take away the physical element of the course, then that sort of diminishes the whole purpose of the, the subject. If everyone's phys- if the whole population is very physically active, I suppose it achieves. I suppose it achieves the ultimate vision, doesn't it? Yeah, but yeah, but on a day a day to day basis, they're not being physically active within the lessons. Is that what you, but they're not being active within the lessons, are they? But they're active after school. Active after school. If they're active out of school, across the school, at break time, at lunch time, so everything is set up. Um, I don't know. I think that's an. I think that's a very, very idealistic. I don't know. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it. I think that'd be tough. I think that's. I don't. So, and so what would you be doing with the lesson? But 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 my but but my point is that what's the purpose of physical education? Yeah. Is it? And I think this is an important point now. Is it for kids to be active at that time and have no impact on what they do elsewhere? Or is it about actually setting the conditions so that everybody can be active across their lives and are active across their lives? I think both. I think I think it's both. I don't think it needs to be one or the other because they need to be active right, on a day to day basis. <laughs> that's, that's, I, that's, ideally, both. I would say because you want them active on a period by period basis. So I know I've next class as well. And I've, I also have pupils in my school that are like in PE lessons that they don't particularly enjoy. They don't really engage that much, but they are like they go to ex, like volleyball clubs and stuff like that after school, and it's just like a totally different person. It's just. So uh, it's, I think it'd be hard to try and get that for everyone because then they go home and then you've got um, folks at home that maybe or like you maybe come from a family that maybe perhaps doesn't really value PE or they're not very passionate about physical activity and things like that. So I think yeah. there's, there's a lot. You've, you've also got young people as well that don't, aren't active after school and they would like to be but don't have the opportunity and then that PE lesson just that's the, the only part of the day they're looking forward to and they really, really enjoy that connection and physical activity as well. I didn't think of that. That was a good point. Well, what do you think, Dr. McMillan? Well, I think that Lewis and Clark did a very good job there and that was very naughty. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. That. I quite, in our corner. I, I and to the answer what I, that Lewis called an idealistic situation. Yeah, I tell you what though, I think that I think that'll get it got me thinking. No, but that'll get the people listening thinking as well. I thought that was yeah. uh, I, it was very it was very funny. I was I had to put myself on mute for a while there because I was laughing. <laughs> no, I, 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 thought, uh, I, I thought I was gonna start question I, I thought I was gonna start stuttering. What uh, <laughs> as you were talking there, um it really made me think of three or four terms as you were talking, uh, and as Mike was questioning over and over again. There's, there's now terms that we have uh, justifications, I guess, for physical education, um, ways that it could be deemed to be educationally worthwhile um, in school and so on. 
uh, that weren't there 20, 30 years ago. Sorry, some of them were, but one or two of them are not. Uh, so almost experiential learning has been around for hundreds of years, uh, linking back to Dewey's type work. But we do have this idea about experiential learning that we learn from the doing and the experience and, and what that brings um, brings to the table. Uh, we've also got ideas about embodiment as well and, and other ideas about meaningfulness. So as, as we move, we are, again, privileging or respecting that the, you're also learning in that way. And I think those terms have been really helpful to justify uh, and show that physical education um, has got and the movement that's there, the physical yeah. that Clark was arguing to keep. Uh, I think that we start to see that as, as part of that educational arena when we start to think about um, that we can learn through movement. And I think experiential learning, embody embodiment and, and meaningfulness are, are terms that help us to um, show that in a way that uh, they weren't being recognised in the P world anyway or in the education and school worlds in the past. Uh, so I think that the learning through doings are also an important part of that. And I think we've now got the terminology uh, that gets us that respect and acknowledgement for that. Yeah, and I, I, like you say, I suppose it does provide, like if you are going down like that route of like the benchmarks and stuff like that, it provides those sport provides those teachable moments if things are happening and you can like highlight on certain things why maybe resilience is important and use different examples from um, from the sport and how like sticking in at something and persevering can lead to positive outcomes and all that sort of stuff so I suppose it provides a platform for all that as well. To, hi to highlight it mm -hmm. in a sporting setting. Yeah. So I suppose a million dollar question then Mike, what do you think? <laughs> I'll just ask the question. Uh, <laughs> I think the point, let's just go back and say that when it moves away from, this is not rocket science, it becomes more complex because you're adding more bits to the, to the jigsaw. So the difficulty now becomes, you know, now I, I think it would, probably be insane to argue that you could develop a, a, a physically active population by not being physical. But I do think we really, well, and certainly the discussions that, that we're having a lot is that if lifelong and lifelong, lifelong, lifewide and lifelong engagement in physical activity is really, really important and is a major goal, major purpose of school physical education, I think we do have to ask, going back to your question, Lewis, about how do we do resilience? You know, so where, where do all these... Um, and if you start talking about these things, can't just do physical. Mm -hmm. You then have to think, well, wait a minute, what, and how do we fit to educational agendas? So I'm not actually completely answering your question, because I don't understand every context. Yeah. But I do think that we, I'm going to go back to what I said, we do need to be asking hard questions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just think that the PE of the future may look a little bit different. But go back to one question, of course you can't do PE successfully. <laughs> Without, Without the P being there, I don't think. Uh, no, something, just a final thing, and then we'll move on to the next question, right? Because I know we're kind of running away. But I think, like, society and stuff like that is, like, set up in a way that is 
actually actively encouraging people to be lazier, to become less resilient. Like everything is literally so convenient now. Like, and I'm not just talking about mobile phones and that, but just like, you don't need to walk to do anything. Like you can get food ordered. Like if you live in a city, you can get food ordered to you like that through the, just like through an app and everything like that. You don't need to like, whereas way, 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 way back, you had to actually move to survive and get it. It's just like everything. It's just such a big shift. But I also think that there are a very large part of the population who are maybe more active than they've ever been. So mm. I, 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 under, I understand exactly what you mean. I suppose as a species though, like it's changed massively into it because we had to be resilient to survive basically back in the day. Yeah, and, 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 and certainly these things have changed and, and life has become, you know, the washing machine is there to stop you having to go and wash. You know, so, so many things mechanically that, that, that have helped us. Um, and you reach a point where, yes, um, I mean, it's probably not rocket science. People get bigger because they don't exercise and they eat too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think, you know, if you think how many gyms there are now. I know, so accessible. Aren't they? So I think, I, think, I, I, think, I think we can present that it's all bad. Actually, you know, and, and if you where I live, just at the far end of Musselburgh, the whole world seems to cycle past here on a Saturday. You know, it's it's just absolutely amazing how many people. Right. You know, and if you go to Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh, the number of people out walking and running. So it's that, you know, yeah. I, um, it's fashionable now, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's part of the it's right in the kind of. Everyone's everyone's in into it now. I would say like through lockdown, I think lockdown started that. Like certainly outdoors anyway. There's more people yeah. exercising where I live anyway. Yeah. I think it's uh, if we just go back to I think every other question at some point we've talked about the idea of the holistic, the cognitive, physical, social, emotional, and if we only educate folks to be active and, 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 and do activity to them when they're in physical education, you do get caught on that trap, Lewis, of people leave school and they actually haven't got the cognitive understanding to, to be physically active and to be critical mm-hmm. consumers of the society they live in and yeah. understand that there are temptations and there are demands on their time and there are convenience things, but how do we make them aware of that? be critical about that, to be cognitively understanding about that, uh, but also to have the, um, the awareness, um, the habits. Um, and I don't feel enough of that gets taught. I don't think uh, enough of that gets taught in schools, though, like about all that side of things and where we've came from to where we are now in terms of... Yeah, but if you think about that, if we are going to take yeah. physically active living, if you wanted to call it that, or what Mike was mentioning before about this lifelong agenda, how do we give people the skills uh, so they can be critical, uh, they can have the knowledge to yeah. uh, help themselves, they can have the social capabilities to help others. It might not be that you always have to make yourself physically active, it might be that you play a support role uh, for a number of other people to be physically active, whether it's your family, your friends and so on, and it might not always have to be in a formal way. So um, there's a lot, a nice, I think, agenda coming out of Australia that starts to talk about informal physical activity or informal sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it doesn't always have to be that you need to have um, a very particular skill set to go off and be physically active in a traditional way. So I, I think if that is the case and there's this physically active living idea, 
um, and we want to challenge some of the things that are trying to or available there that might prevent that happening. What, what's PE's role in that idea uh, now and in the in the longer term? So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that was um, that was certainly a, a good bit of discussion on on that question there. We kind of went on for a, a good bit there, so we'll move we'll move on um, with the, the the last two questions, then, folks. So, would you say PE is closer to the centre of educational issues in school, and why do you think this is the case? Yeah, I'll start off and do the usual. I'll say ten seconds worth, and Michael fill in fifteen minutes worth. Um, I, I think I've already sort of started to mention some of these things, and if we go back to the idea of how knowledge or thinking has been looked at in schools that I mentioned at the very, very start, um, that we've, in, in schools in general, it's always been privileged in the cognitive, and I think that's really shifted uh, as we've started to look at PE and health and well-being, now started to acknowledge and have an agenda for physical, but also the cognitive, social and emotional domains as well. Um, so recognising these things are connected uh, and bringing back those three or four terms I mentioned before about meaningfulness and embodiment and so on, um, I think we're starting to get ourselves in a position where we're no longer the people that are um, cast out to the side of the school on the margins or shadows of the school um, because it was just being physically active and that wasn't something that was viewed with an awful lot of positivity in the past, wrongly I would argue. Um, but again, since again we started to be a bit more open-minded and saw knowledge and the human body and the human spirit is being interconnected. I think we've got um, more to say and more to offer on educational agendas. Um, and that idea about meaningfulness and uh, embodiment and so on, I think helps us to, to justify that. Mm -hmm. So do you think then, see since the, since obviously we went into the pandemic and stuff like that, have you noticed a shift in things like in your area of work in terms of where PE is placed in the curriculum? Uh, I've noticed, I've noticed a big shift. I, I do know that it was a tough, a tough spell for uh, it was a tough spell for folk in schools. When yeah. uh, what, what did PE look like when people having to do it online? And was it still physical education? And it maybe links back to Mike's question that folks were maybe not being physically active, but PE was having to be done in an online environment with a teacher in their house and kids in their houses as well. I thought that was an interesting position and situation. Um, and yeah, we also have to do something similar, yeah. So, yep. um, and was that still physical education? Uh, yeah. What counts as physical education? Um, and there's been some nice um, articles being written about PE in the pandemic and what it said about the, the the nature of it and the purposes of it and so on. Um, and maybe it's 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 back to can you do the the cognitive, physical, social, emotional on your own and without the physical? Yeah, possibly too big a challenge. So I think. Um, having it as a an in-person, um, on-campus type activity, we've grappled with that too. I think it's difficult to do the social emotional without being physically present and without using the, the physical as a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So would you like to see kind of more in-person in, in kind of sessions in? Like that, is that, is that, would that be better for you in terms yeah, of... Yeah, we're, we're back to doing that now. Yeah, we're back to that. Yeah, through, through, through on campus, um, right Good. from... From January, um, but yeah, it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't easy. It had made us think a lot, um, but again, was some of the things that you were seeing um, that were put up in social media. People were sharing and talking about what's that physical education um, and what could we do differently or, or better on that front, and we struggled with that as well. Yeah. Okay. 
Right. Um, well, last question then of the the, the episode. Um, what are the key features of PE, um, if we're looking at it from kind of three to eighteen, that can help it connect to life outside school? Um, and once learners leave school, I know we've, we've touched on a bit about this in relation to lifelong participation and, and experiences we offer on a day-to-day basis and how that impacts it. Um, so who would like to take this one? Yeah, I think um, almost to go to, to, to go back a step. I think it's really important that we almost sort of said two caveats before we started all of this, is that clearly this is pretty blue skies thinking. Um, and we are very, very conscious that there is an expectation in schools as to what a good teacher should be, or a rel- you know, a, a broad idea. So I just going back to that point about Paul, that PE moving towards the centre of education, but remember, remember schools are still very structured in subject areas. And they're still very structured in the way that they were perhaps even 120 years ago. So our job is is really, I think, about trying to be realistic about talking about this stuff and and, trying to make sure that the students are as well prepared as we can do. Some colleagues don't think they are, and we understand that, and, and hopefully a lot of others do. But we're in this conversation, we're really trying to push the boat out in terms of what might PE look like in the future? And in that, yeah, lifelong and life-wide, the engagement, or all we can do as teachers is set the conditions that would enable lots and lots and lots, maybe all children and young people to engage in physical activity in a lifelong and lifelong life-wide way. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean that you've got to do? Well, it certainly means that with young ones, you have to set a very positive, holistic foundation. So yes, it's about developing basic stroke fundamental movements, but also there's some knowledge and there's social skills and there's emotional resilience within there and elements within that. As they start to move through the primary and early secondary years, there's lots of opportunity across and beyond schools. So how does PE in that time engage with that life-wide agenda? Now, when I started teaching, there were no paid coaches in sport and certainly no youth sport people and there were no active schools and there was no exercise clubs or whatever so in a short period of time in communities we've actually got an awful lot happening so it was all it was all just down to the PE teachers then at that point I've been yeah, feeling. I think, yeah. I think that's an interesting point. That that yeah. So in a way, extracurricular activity, one could argue, was much more important fifty, sixty years ago mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there was less opportunity in the community. So going back to the stakeholder bit, going back to the life wide bit, how 
How do we go about that? What happens in PE that links across there? And then I think for the senior phase, and I'll be a little bit contentious here, how do we set up the senior pupils to engage with lifelong physical activity? Now, clearly, if they've got the holistic foundations and we're looking at the life-wide elements as we go through, maybe that creates a slightly more conducive context. But there's a narrative in PE about lifelong. And I'm not sure if sport performance as the cherry on the top is the best way to do that. So I think there's an issue, there's a rhetoric about lifelong, but I'm not sure that they were asking the questions, maybe the right questions about how that might be. I think lots and lots and lots and lots of the parts are there now. Yeah, but as, as like, I know what you mean, like as uh, high quality performance going to assist with that lifelong or is it going to turn certain people away, away from it? I mean, you will, I don't do it, so you will. But is high quality performance not going to help the ones who are already high quality performers? Yeah, but already engaged so, in. You know, it's a yeah. cycle. So all of a sudden, PE, so, and Paul, you can speak better to this, but when our students arrive, an awful lot of them think PE is sport. Why? Because they've all got a higher PE, and what have they been doing in higher PE? Yeah, developing so the sport. If, if our purpose is lifelong engagement for the whole population, and don't get me wrong, we are in no way against high-performance sport, but where does that fit into this, and I'm just doing a lecture this next week when they're third years, what's the relationship between BGE or core or whatever and higher? No, yeah. it's, quite dis it's quite disjointed. So, yeah. So I think that, so again, that, that's a, so for us, that's a hard question that at least we've got to pose with our students to say, well, if we're looking at this idea of lifelong and life-wide, what are we doing in that senior phase that actually presents those messages, sets, sets opportunities for that to happen? And, and I have to say, and I don't know, you can talk to this, Paul, better than me, I think we're maybe quite away from that. I think that's the bit where the connections yep. are not happening yet. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because you could arguably do away with the, the one-off performance if that was the case and that was a name was lifelong participation. You probably wouldn't need that. I suppose that you've got assessment, like your, assessment. your like progression awards and stuff like that, like your exercise and fitness and your sports yeah. and all that. which is. Um, not, very necessarily, good. Very not necessarily performance driven, but more can he, towards that side of, I would argue, more kind of lifelong participation. Absolutely, and, and, I'm, and I'm sort of purposely presenting in this way. I, I want to be absolutely clear. I think there's lots of the bits in place. Yeah. You know, and we've not talked about, you know, all the models that are being developed in PE, like sport education, like TGFU, lots yeah. of the other ones. I think there's lots of things meaningful. There's lots of things in PE that in the last 20 to 25 years that are there that, could make this happen probably quite easily. And yeah. I think you just highlighted one or two there, Lewis. But I, 
I, I think there's still a bit of a journey. I think there's a mindset that's, you know, and I don't know. Sorry, Paul. No, no, please. I'll, I'll come no, no, just, just when I was thinking with one-off performance, like with the 30, if the kids that get 30 out of 30, like where do they go next? But even if when they get that, like I would say the majority of the 30 out of 30s get it from going to a football club or a dance club. Um, like how much of that is down to yeah, your teaching periods, their, their teaching periods? Not, not taking anything to be for PE teachers who obviously work hard to get their marks up. And, and of course they do. And that definitely happens as well. But like your high flyers, thirty to thirty, they probably already go to clubs and they're accessing full marks due to that. Which is good as well, I suppose, like because they're active outside the the class. Um, but like, is that really what we're wanting to assess the the capability in one sport? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think there's a really interesting question: is that if the sorry, sorry, Paul, if the purpose is as they move through to lifelong and life-wide, life-wide as they go through their lifelong. What would higher P look like then? I know, there'd be a totally different assessment structure, wouldn't it, you'd think? Oh, I, 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 th I mean, and let's be clear, again, go back to the point we made earlier about how in days gone by when I was we, there wasn't all the stuff, the sport and whatever else. So sport became a really important part of sport performance. Analyzing sport for France became a really important part of justifying PE in the higher high national qualifications. So that, that, that was obvious at the time. But if we're talking about something that is much more holistic and much wider, mm. I think there is a legitimate question is that what would that look like for all kids in their senior secondary? Paul McMillan, I think you should speak now. Oh, I've been just itching to come in, but uh, you're in full swing. And I, I know, I, I can sense that when you're in full swing, so just stay clear. I was just uh, listening to all the things we've talked about in the previous questions, and even what we've just talked about in this question now. Um, think what it is that, that teachers have to grapple with. You know, uh, we've talked about health, we've talked about holistic, um, possibilities. We've talked about physical activity. We've talked about sport. We've talked about lifelong, life-wide. We've talked about different aspects of learning, benchmarks, BGE, national qualifications, model-based yeah. practice. You know, think about that rich scene that I've just. Fuck, I probably missed loads as well. I just jotted them down as Mike was talking on and on. So this is being viewed at the moment in the Brighton Futures Project as a positive position that can be shaped, that you can act with, and you can have a. Uh, a bit of a foothold in, but you could easily get lost in it as well uh, at the same time. Uh, and there's this idea of you will have your own personal thoughts and ambitions and visions that we've talked about in the past. Um, and how does that sometimes clash with other stakeholders' ideas, with some of the policy agenda? You just brought one, one up there about the BGE and the sort of holistic open-ended nature of it versus the national performance agenda. How does a teacher reconcile those two different things and may have another completely different or related educational vision or um, desires of their own so it's how, how how do you bring all those together i think that's part of our job is to help teachers make sense of that big picture which is sometimes too big and sometimes mm -hmm. needs to have a sense of direction on it and prioritizing in it in terms of whoa there's a lot here where do i go first what do i need to park just now 
professionally and development-wise, what do we need to know more about? So I think this, this brighter future is positive and we're getting excited about it and we're seeing a, a firmer place for PE in the school curriculum, but, but, but it could be overwhelming. I'm just thinking to what we're talked about in this one question, but also in other ones. So it's, it's given them, it's, it's linked back to the vision project because having a, at least a, an outline of what you think PE is about can start to help you to align to uh, prioritize, to make sense of, and even challenge big time. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that are happening to physical education that could be viewed as positive, but may not be at times. So how do you as a PE teacher get ready to engage with all of that? Uh, and we're presenting it here as very, very positive. And I think it is, there's a lot happening in PE, but we just have to make sure that we can, we can handle it uh, and we can embrace it um, at the same time. Yeah, I think as you say, Paul, though, that's a good starting point to have that vision and then so you can then grapple with the other stuff. Or otherwise, you end up getting pulled in so many different directions and you don't really know. Yeah. There's a really good quote by someone, I think it might actually be Kosnick and Beck, they're some researchers from Canada who researched a long time ago and did longitudinal work on vision. They ended up saying something like, if you don't have a vision, you end up just collecting a lot of stuff. You end up just picking up tips and bits and pieces here and there, but you've actually got no way of joining it together. And you just, there's no end to that. You end up just pouring more and more on the top uh, and, and collecting everything and anything. Um, and you end up getting overwhelmed and exhausted. Uh, so I'm not saying you, you're very close-minded, but it just helps to be a bit more strategic, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, when you look at Lewis's podcast notes, that's what it's like, just a collection of old insights. Doesn't really know, doesn't really know why he's doing it. But he's, well, he's uh, well, he was recognised as asking the big questions. So. Uh, he was, he was, he was. Uh, you can see that wall, but the wall I think he had a lot. nuanced question, according to Dr. Jess. Nuanced <laughs> and big uh, were the... I've got, I've got all the, I've got all, all like attached by bits of string. It's like a scene out of CSI. <laughs> just try to piece it all together. But no, I think you make a really good point. I don't know how many times we've sat on the phone, Clark, and during the lockdown, stuff like that. And even like when we're driving home to work and that, just speaking about all this different stuff and um, in particular like the BGE things and then you get all, this, all these insights and trying to take action it right back. I'll bring the whole thing to an end now and say it goes back to that very first question. So why do we do research? And the question, the answer is to try and make sense of things. Yeah. And yeah. try and make sense of, of, of this world. And, and in a sense, understanding some key concepts and things doesn't mean that you're doing it right or wrong but it gives you a way of making sense and being able to to put things into practice mm -hmm. um, and I know personally that you know lots of the things I think now I thought at the start of my career but I had absolutely no way of explaining them. I had no, didn't have the tools, I didn't have the knowledge. I, I, it, it, and I keep going, yeah, that's what I meant. But what came out was this big load of rubbish. And it still might be a load of rubbish, but in my head, it, it, it seems to make a lot more sense. Mm. So ultimately, the, the exciting bit, certainly for people like Paul and I, is we have a bit of space to go and try and make sense of, of all those complex bits that, 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 that are coming together and, and, and are coming together hopefully in a way that's increasingly better for our subject area. Um, and I was talking to someone yesterday who was saying, maybe it's not a subject, maybe PE is a process. Yeah, there's never going to be an end point really, is there? That's what it seems yeah. like. Always, always. be coming. Yeah, uh, I definitely, definitely. So. 
That's a good way to finish. Um, I just thanks to, very much. Oh no, can I just say, I forgot, I, Lewis and Clark, right? So I used to work in Eastern Oregon. Oh, do you want to say the marathon? No, so at least Eastern Oregon. And 40 miles from where I lived, there was a place called Lewiston and a place called Clarkson. And they both had universities. And they were on the river where Lewis and Clark, the explorers, went. Ah, no. Because there's a marathon over there, but we're going to try and do like it. They were, advent- they were an adventurer right. or something, weren't they? Oregon, I think it was. All right, go and find out about it and tell me about it. This has been uh, recorded. This is of no interest to anybody apart from you. <laughs> no, there's a, aye, there's a losing clock. There is a, a losing clock marathon. I don't know if it's just a marathon or if it's a, an ultra marathon. I'm, I'm not sure. I've definitely heard about it, though. A bend in the River Columbia, which is, which is called yeah. Lucy. Anyway, that's it. Uh, there you go. The great explorers. There you the go. Great explorers and, and, and PE in Scotland. And, <laughs> <laughs> don't go on wrong. There you go. Two episodes. <laughs> I know that's us. Really, really enjoyed that tonight, chatting with you. We really appreciate you coming back on again for your second appearance. And um, thanks very much for your insights. And, and really enjoyed chatting there. It was good. Put a different spin on it tonight, having two people on. And I, it was it was good. So thanks for giving up your time. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.